0: But in Acts 2, 42, let's start there, and we're going to read to verse 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Now we've been... I think we might have skipped one week because I think Pastor Sumter did a sermon, but I've been working through the idea of the fellowship that we have that's found there in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, and then it says, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. Uh, Let's stop on that word fellowship for a second. That's been our takeoff point. And this church, the early church, devoted themselves to the fellowship. And the word fellowship there, it's that word koinonia, and it means participation. It can be translated sharing. It can be translated partnership. Partnership through the Holy Spirit. We've looked at this fellowship of the Spirit as the Spirit unites us together according to the gospel or to the doctrine. We've looked at the fellowship of the Spirit as God unites us around the Lord's table, the breaking of the bread. And we've looked at the fellowship as the Spirit of God unites us together in total dependence in prayer. But this afternoon, we want to look at the fellowship that is found in verses 44 and 45 that we've just read. The the fellowship, there's a dimension here that we, we don't see in verse 42. It's explained to us in verse 44 and 45. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Dennis Johnson, in his book, where I derived a lot of this this thinking, he says this, Luke tells us that the fellowship in the early church had a financial price tag. The fellowship in the early church had a financial price tag. The early church was ready to treat their own possessions as community property. The early church was ready to use their possessions, use their money, sell their things in order to meet the needs of those in the community. So we know the Spirit of God comes down in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God's been poured out, the love of God's been poured out in their hearts. And when you think about the fellowship that's going on in the early church, there was a sound to it. There was a sound to it. It was the sound of money. Heading into offering plates. It was the sound of people going out and selling pieces of property and bringing that money and laying it at the apostles' feet. The evidence of the invisible wind of the Holy Spirit at work in the, the hearts of the people, it was seen in their giving and taking care of one another. Christian fellowship involves investments of time and attention. Now we can always labor on that, but Christian fellowship involves also the investments of dollars and cents, of drachma and denarii, of pounds and of shillings. One example we find outside the book of Acts is in the book of Philippians. And I promise you, at some point I'll get back to Philippians. But here we are. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, he says, I thank my God... In all my remembrance of you, Philippians, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your, here's the word, participation or koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. The fellowship, he's praising them for the fellowship that they've invested in him, that fellowship, that participation referring to the gift of money and the gift of their own minister, Epaphroditus to him, remember he's, we've, when we studied Philippians, remember we said he's in a prison and he's by himself. And if you don't have somebody taking care of you, you're in trouble. So Epaphroditus is there at, at, at their sending and along with the gift. In chapter 4, verses 14 through 19, he writes again, he says, Nevertheless, you Philippians have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance, I am amply supplied, Having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now that's the introduction. So with that introduction, let's look at the fellowship in finances and let's ask this question about Christian communalism. Verse 44 and 45 again. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. For there was not a needy person among them. For all who were owners of land and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed. To each one as any had a need. Now some people after reading those verses have come to the conclusion that the norm for the Christian church is Christian communalism. Now what, you know, y'all talk that way every day, right? We talk about Christian communalism. Let's give a definition. Christian communalism is the idea that all the members of the church are to relinquish all their property, all their money, all their assets into one purse, they're going to give it into one purse and that that will be given over to a, the leadership of the church and the leadership of the church will disperse the money as they see fit. That's what it is. Now, what is the norm? So, well, there's four questions we need to ask. Are we to relinquish all our property for the good of the Christian community? Second, are we to sub- submit all our assets to one common purse to then be administered by elected officials. Number three, do Christians have the right to personal property? And if they do, what is to be, how are they to use that personal property? What is to be our attitude if it is right for us to own things? So we're going to take the first two questions together. Are we to relinquish all our property for the good of the community, which will then be administered or dispersed? By an elected church officials. Now, some have said yes to this. Uh, Some believe this is the norm. In order to join certain Christian communities, you have to give all your possessions to them and they will take them and use them for, quote, the good of the community. Now, one of these communities was in the early church named the the Qumran community. And they were known for, for withdrawing from everybody, and they would form their own community. And in order to be a part of it, you had to go through a three-year process. The Manual of Discipline for the Q- Q- Qumran, I'm sorry, Qumran community, the manual ex- suggested that they do three years. The first thing they would do is have an initial examination. And after that initial examination, that they would have um, a prescribed uh, study. They would be a pro- on probation for a year, and then after the second year went the, the next year, they would have another examination, and then once that whole community approved of them after that second examination, they'd have to be approved by the whole community, and then they would give all their possessions into a man's hand whose name was the bursar, and the bursar would take all their their property and all their assets. And he would write it all down, you know, and make it into his accounts, and it would be set aside for another whole year. Then after the third year, the probationer would be examined another time. And if that person was approved to join the community, then all their property would be entered in. It wouldn't just be sitting there, not used. It could be entered in to rest the rest of the, the people's properties, and then it would be used by the community or by those leaders as they saw fit. This man and a woman would never be able to speak any counsel until three years. They would not be heard. They were just waiting. Now, this is not the norm in the early church, according to Luke in the book of Acts. Luke makes it clear that wealthier Christians would sell their lands and their properties to care for those in need. Now listen to me, read it one more time. And all those who had believed were together... And they had all things in common, yes, in common, but not in Christian communalism. And they began selling whose property? Their property. And they sold their possessions, and they were sharing their property and their possessions with all as any had a need, and they, their property, would be distributed to each as any had a need. Let's look at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. But a man named Ananias, we all know this terrible story, with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. And with his wife's full knowledge and bringing property, a, proportion, a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain Your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Peter rebukes Ananias for this. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Belonged to him. After it was sold, was it not still in your power, at your disposal? So this makes very clear that the selling of lands and houses and goods and assets was not a requirement for early church membership the lands and the properties belonged to the members of the church and they sold them to meet the needs of the folks who had needs now let's think more broadly for a second the apostle paul he speaks to his son in the faith timothy in first timothy 6 and he gives him some information some instruction for wealthy members Of the congregation. He says this Tell them, Timothy, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, those rich in this present world, to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Do you really have to be rich to have to follow that? (laughs) I mean, you don't really have to be rich to follow what he just said, do you? It's not just for the rich. It's for those who have and have enough to share with others. Those who are rich in the present world are not to be conceited. If you have things, you're not to be conceited. You're not to be full of pride. And think of yourselves as we've been studying on Sunday nights. That's King Saul, who's head and shoulders above the rest and started taking upon himself to be a prideful, jealous person of David later on. You're not to put your hope in riches. You're to put your hope in God. You're to put your hope... Listen, you know what? Don't ever think you're not supposed to enjoy the things you're given. He says we can enjoy the things we're given. But he says don't put your hope in the things you've been given. He says to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. All the while, all the while storing up for yourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that you may take hold of that which is life indeed. So here we are. Are we to use here we are to use our wealth with a heart of generosity? This presupposes that each member of the church has the freedom to and the authority to make decisions in regard to their own finances. So let's conclude, and we'll go to questions three and four. Are we to relinquish all our property? Are we to submit all our assets to one common purse for the good of the community, which is then administered by elected church leaders? Answer, no. No, we're not. That's not the norm in the early church. It's not to be the norm today. Now, let's look at questions two three and four, and take them together, since Christians have the right to own personal property. Then here's the question. What is to be your attitude as a Christian toward your personal property? What is to be your attitude? This is harder than you think. Get ready. <laughs> now, we have seen the doctrine given to us by the Apostle Paul that he gave to Timothy, right? There in First uh, Timothy six seventeen through 18. Now, that is just straightforward teaching, right? And here's one thing that I think I learned, and I think I'm seeing also from Luke here. One of the things that I, I worked really hard about, I think it was like 2012. I, uh, I said, man, I want to work harder at preaching. And one of the things that I read was a book by this guy, and he said, make sure that if you define anything, that you this is what Luther would say that you help the persons see what you're saying with the eyes that are in their ears you have eyes in your ears if i just give you a word like fervent what's that mean unless you just know what it means you go what what's he talking about fervent fervent what's that mean but see thomas watson every time he puts the word fervent in a text all beside it in parentheses you know what there's a word beside it and it's boiling you got the idea now <laughs> fervent what's that mean what's that mean i can say fervent i can say diligent what's that mean but i can say boiling and you go hey that that means heated up fervent means warm and so when you look at what paul says yes that's doctrine and that's wonderful stuff but what what luke does is he shows us what he's talking about he makes us to see it with the eyes that are in our ears and so he's basically saying take a look at this Do you see what they're doing in the book of Acts? And he gives us an illustration there in verse 34 of chapter 4. He says, There was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of lands and houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet. And they would be distributed to each as any had a need. And then verse 36, we see Joseph. Now everybody knows Joseph, the son of encouragement, Mr. Barnabas a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of, of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land. He goes out, he sells the tract of land, he brings the money, he lays it at the apostles' feet. That's what financial fellowship in the church looks like. So what is it to be, what is to be the Christian's attitude toward personal property? Well, Luke's attitude tells us this. We're to use our finances for others. And it challenges us. You know, one of the things about our church is when, when we've had issues, I tell you what, y'all respond like crazy. I compliment y'all to death over that. As we observe the Spirit of God at work in the early church, we see members of the church who own property, and we see a heart bias toward sharing with those who have a need. John Wesley said in the 1700s, he said, Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. But you know what people say today? Save all you can, or make all you can, save all you can, and sit on the lid. That's what people say today. Make all you can, save all you can, and sit on the lid. Well, the early church didn't sit on the lid. We, they made all they could, they saved all they could, and they opened up the lid. And this is an expression of love as we see in that church. And this is the way we are to love in our church. Let's consider for a moment, this is the clincher. Let's consider for a moment that mandatory communalism is the norm. You know what? If that was the norm, we would have so many less headaches. Right? Think about it. If if a man was going to let his mom and dad figure out for him who he's to marry, he doesn't have any headaches. Right? Right? Well, if I just give all my money to the church, I'll just give all the headaches to those leaders and let them do all the hard work. I'll just let them do all the thinking. I'll let them do all the getting on their knees and praying. What are we gonna do? We've got all these people. Now Now these guys that come and they say, Well, now they're sitting there and they're having to think, is this Steve comes to me and he says, We have a need. And so here we are, we're sitting here on the board and we're trying to figure out, well, is that a need or is that a want? Well, so when then then we have to figure out, well, that's we think that's a want, Steve. And then we have to come over to Steve and we have to tell Steve with We think that's a want. That's not really a need. And this is why we're not going to give you what you say you need because we're calling it a want. And uh, these big old boys have to fulfill all these duties and they have to be the ones who are conscientious. (laughs) And that just relieves me of all these responsibilities, doesn't it? Wow. Wouldn't it be easier if somebody else just did all the hard lifting? Wouldn't it be easier if we didn't have to do these things that are responsible for us to do? As we study Acts, Luke points to a more difficult form of financial fellowship. This kind of teaching that Luke gives us as we watch what's going on in the church never lets us take a hands-off approach to our responsibility and give it over to somebody else to do for us. Luke shows us how we are to come with our hearts and deal with our hearts about how to help other people in with our finances sometimes as an adult you know what we want um i love specific rules don't you i love formulas that tell me exactly what to do i can i can get that one done but here's something that you know we have to do from our hearts the bible doesn't let us off the hook and neither does luke luke's preoccupation is with heart motives and he presses this up against us in our comfortable Christian lives. In the midst of our own comfortable lives, God has so wonderfully provided for us. And now we have to think about what to do with what we have. When someone is in need, is my first impulse to help or move away? When somebody's in need, is my first impulse to try to meet that need? That doesn't mean you have to go bankrupt yourself, but do I want to meet that need or do I go kind of inch away from them just to make sure that I'm not too close (laughs) I don't want to be involved? The early church, they were under the influence of the Spirit, and it teaches us that when brothers and sisters in Christ are in need, the normal response is to move towards them so that Acts 4.34 is true, there was not even a needy person among them. Luke's commentary echoes what we find in Deuteronomy fifteen, four and 5 uh, when the Lord's ancient promise was given to Israel. Listen to what he says. If the people of Israel proved faithful to the covenant, God would make sure Israel was blessed. However, he says, there should be no poor or needy person among you, for in the land of the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all His commands I am giving you today. So if you and I, if, they, if the people back in those days proved faithful, God would give them rich harvest of wheat and corn and etc. But if they disobeyed, they would receive the curse instead of the blessing. Today in the church, God promises that He will erase all need to supply every need not through covenant faithfulness resulting in wonderful wheat and corn harvest, but in God promising to meet every need as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to turn them inside out to see the needs of other people to hear them talk about them, to hear them share about them, and then for us to get into gear and figure out how we can meet their need. Some of us may meet their needs in one way, and some may meet their needs in other ways, but the Holy Spirit will turn us inside out and help us to take the lid off so that we can meet our brother and sisters in their need. I can't believe I'm writing this, but I wrote this in my notes. It says, I wrote this, The Lord is teaching us to be liberals. He wants us to be liberal, liberal in our giving, liberal in our sharing for the sake of the Christian family. In the church, the curse is removed as the Spirit of God works in our hearts and as we partner together and then pour out from our own hearts in whatever form God allows us to meet the needs of those in our congregation. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for fellowship around doctrine. We thank you for fellowship around the sacraments. And we thank you for fellowship around prayer. Fellowship in eating meals together, even today. And Lord, we thank you for teaching us about the fellowship of our finances. Teach us to be those as your Holy Spirit's at work in us, to turn our hearts inside out, to see the needs of others, and to always be ready to move closer rather than farther away when we see our brothers and sisters in need. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory and all the credit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.